listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. We have been waiting for this, right? Advent, expectation, and hope, and anticipation. And our Advent series, A Thrill of Hope, has now given way to our Christmas series these next two weeks, The Weary World Rejoices. So I don't know about the rest of you, but I have been weary 2021, maybe even more so in 2020. There's a lot of weariness to go around. And so I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about uh, the new year. I'm excited about Christmas, about the coming of Christ. And I want you to know that you can rejoice. And not just you, but the world in which we live in can rejoice because Christ has come. This gospel passage that we read today is unique in that it's the only story in the gospels where we see something about Jesus' childhood. Like we get his infancy in Matthew where he's kind of carried away to, to Egypt by his parents and then they settle later in Nazareth. We get a little bit about his infancy in Luke as well. Uh, neither John nor Mark. Uh, will mention Jesus' infancy. They just kind of start with Jesus as an adult, and they kind of, kind of go from there. But here in Luke's gospel, we get the singular story that we find in the New Testament about Jesus' childhood. Now, you can imagine that a lot of people have wondered what was Jesus' childhood like, so much so that in the early church, lots of other gospels got written. Lots and lots and lots. We have like over 20 other Gospels besides the four that we find in the New Testament. And a lot of them focus on the childhood of Jesus. Now, some of them are pretty um, extravagant, right? They tell kind of uh, grand and almost um, bizarre stories of Jesus as a child. Like people were wondering when he was a child, did he do the miracles that he did when he was an adult? So there is a story of Jesus working with his father, and his father, you know, is a carpenter, it says. And so it says that Joseph, in this story, this is an actual ancient story, though perhaps fictional. Um, It says that Joseph had cut a beam too short, so he called Jesus and said, Jesus, this beam is too short. So Jesus stretched it out for him, right? You know, the old adage, you know, measure twice and cut once. Apparently Joseph hadn't followed that, and, you know, Jesus could do stuff. There are other stories where the kids were out playing and everybody was kind of modeling like little birds, uh, pigeons kind of out of the mud. And they were, you know, in a competition as sometimes children will do. They'll see whose looks the best, right? And so you have Jesus and his siblings and probably some other kids in the, in the community there in Nazareth. And they all make a little bird out of the mud. But of course, Jesus, once he's done, poof, his becomes real and flies away, <laughs> Right? He's kind of outdoing, outdoing the others. So likely that the, that's not the case. You know, that's not the life that Jesus lived. But people wondered. You know, curious minds wanted to know. Some of them got a little darker. There were stories about Jesus as a child being picked on by neighborhood kids. Uh, one kid kept uh, harassing him. And so Jesus cursed him. And that kid died. <laughs> so Jesus, the child murderer... <laughs> All right, so surely we could set that one aside. 
So we have this, this one story in our Gospels, one story in the New Testament that tells us about something that Jesus was up to as a child. He was 12 years old, right? Right, right between the age of Upstreet and the youth group. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of wonderful age. So it says that his parents every year went to Jerusalem for the Passover. So this big holiday, not unlike Christmas, right? It's a big national holiday. It's a big religious holiday. Everything gets kind of folded together. And his family had made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem on a regular occasion. So they've gone there, and now his parents have headed home. And then a day into the trip, it's about a three-day trip, right? So you'd walk, 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 and take, you know, it's like a camping trip. You'd camp at night, and then you walk all day, and you camp at night, and you walk all day, and the third night, you would get home. So they've walked all day, and they go to camp, and they look around, and they're like, where's Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? I haven't seen Jesus. Hey, has anybody seen Jesus? Now, I know certainly as a parent, I have had that experience where you've been you know, at the store, or worse yet, at like Disney or somewhere, and you turn around and your kid's not there. Like how many can testify to the fear that, that grips you when that happens, right? And it doesn't take very long, right? They could just be right around the corner. Or perhaps you kids might have experienced this as well. Like you'll be at Publix or somewhere and you think your mom and dad are right there with you and then you look up and they're not. And it's like, what happens? So if you hear this story and you're wondering how is it that they could get a day away and not know that Jesus was there. Like that's, that seems like remarkably bad parenting, right? Like if we left, if we left church this afternoon, or not afternoon, we'll get done sooner than that, but when we leave church later today. Um, I don't think it would take us a day to realize that one of the kids aren't in the van with us. But in the ancient world, they didn't have minivans. They had caravans, but not the Dodge kind, right? So they had these, uh, people would travel in groups. So they're like families and friends, like the, the lar large groups of people would have traveled. You wouldn't have traveled in like your nuclear family. So to move from Jerusalem down, 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 down to Jericho, and then to move from Jericho up the valley towards Galilee, and then get into the valley and make your way across the valley, make your way across the valley to... Uh, Nazareth, right? So it, it wouldn't have been bizarre in a group the size that you typically would have had traveling that you would not have realized that your 12-year-old son uh, wasn't in your mix of, of people, right? Because by this point, we would have had Jesus' siblings would have been alive as well, and there would have been a large group. So don't, don't kind of shame uh, Mary and Joseph for that reason. But a day in, they realize Jesus isn't with them, and now they've had to return to Jerusalem to find out, to try and find him, which is a scary time for them, right? So they're on the look, going to try and find their son. And they find their son in the temple. Now, here's an interesting part of this story. How many of you, by show of hands, have heard of this story before? Jesus in the temple when he's 12, right? It's pretty, pretty familiar, all right? Now, how many of you have heard that Jesus was teaching in the temple. Has anybody heard that? Okay, but the text didn't say anything about Jesus teaching. It says that Jesus was in the temple learning. He was listening to the teachers. 
People were amazed at his questions. They were amazed at his understanding. But he was there learning. He wasn't there teaching. Now, I think this is, this is important for us. And in, in the very last verse of this passage, it says that Jesus grew. He grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew in favor with God and in favor with people. That's interesting, isn't it? Christianity is a faith that is received. It is something that we learn. In our context, we have been taught for so long now that everybody, that everything has to do with you and God. It's all about your personal relationship with God. And so you should grab a Bible and you should get into your closet and you should read and you should have this kind of one-on-one phenomenon. Certainly there's truth to that. But people don't receive the faith like a bolt of lightning. It's not, the, the faith is not something that is just you and God. It is something that is received. So in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, there's a story about the, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit gets poured out. And that part of the story gets emphasized a lot, especially in Pentecostal right, circles. The Spirit came upon them, they spoke in tongues, and people were amazed. But that chapter ends with this. It says, there were four things that they consistently did, the early church. This is the four things they consistently did. Number one, they did not forsake the teaching of the apostles. They did not forsake the teaching of the apostles. They also did not forsake fellowship or the breaking of bread or prayers. So it's interesting that they list on that list both uh, fellowship and the breaking of bread, right? So early, early on in other teachings of the early church, one in particular called the Didache, they would distinguish between when they came to receive what we now call communion and when they were just kind of getting together, right? Maybe sharing a meal. It's not that every meal that Christians shared were necessarily the communion, it seems to be, right? So they didn't forsake fellowship. They needed to see each other, right? And certainly in a, this kind of prolonged uh, pandemic, hopefully being reduced to an endemic in the, in the near future, we have experienced a lot of isolation and a lot of quarantine, right? We realize it's good to get together. And I'm, I'm happy to see you all. And if you're on the live stream, I'm looking forward to when I get to see you too, right? Fellowship. But they didn't forsake the breaking of bread, right? It's something they commonly did. They received communion. And they didn't forsake their prayers. But on the list, it says they didn't forsake the teaching of the apostles. Jesus had taught the apostles, and the apostles then taught the bishops, and the bishops then taught other bishops. And then someone taught someone who taught someone who eventually was someone who taught you. Right? We've all received this faith. It has come to us through the generations. Somehow we are the beneficiaries of someone else's faithfulness and we are to be now the benefactors of this good news to others. So not only have we received it from someone, but we should pass it on to someone else. It's one of the reasons why I think church, being a part of a church and and regularly attending the church is so important. We, we need it to kind of shape our lives. It's, it's because it's not, this is not a lone ranger 
um, phenomenon. Now, we need maybe more than just our gathering together, right? We, we do need to have our own prayers. We need to have our own kind of uh, devotion. We need to have our own commitment uh, to the Lord. But that is not in any way in isolation. Before we become teachers, we must first become students. Jesus himself was a student. Let's just pause right there. Jesus himself was a student. So the the only story we get of Jesus' childhood from the Gospels is Jesus the student. If Jesus needed to be a student, how much more so do we all need to be students? So you know my profession, right? I I teach at a local college. I'm I'm the Bible professor, or one of them. So I've been doing this now for 28 years, I think. 1998, 23 years. (laughs) I don't teach math. (laughs) I've been doing this for 23 years. That's a, that's a relatively long time, I think. It's a good start anyway to, to kind of be in this, in this profession of teaching. And when I teach, obviously I teach students, <laughs> and I, I teach them certain subjects. In my own philosophy of education, you know, there is, there is in education um, a traditional approach, right? It's called the, sta- the sage on the stage, <laughs> That's, in a way, how we operate Sunday mornings. I stand up here and do most of the talking, and you all do most of the listening. That's the sage on the stage, right, the wise one. But then in education, right, there's also the guide by the side. It's, it's the student-centered approach, right? Uh, Paulo Freire and others have taught us that, that we're not just teaching an abstraction. We have to teach the students we have, not the ones we wish we had, <laughs> Right? But there's another approach that I think might be the best. Better than the sage on the stage. We could probably all agree that that's not the best. And maybe even better than the guide by the side, right, the student-centered approach. And that's a subject-centered approach. Like the subject is what we're all trying to know. The subject is what we're trying to learn. The subject is what we're trying to study. And the subject we're learning here is God. God's Son, God's Spirit, God's Word. And we are all learners. So in this context, I'm, I'm one of, I guess, the chief learners. But we're all learners. And we can learn from our subject, and we can also learn from one another. When I think about my students, there's certain things that I long for. There's certain things that I regularly pray for. The prayer that I pray most for my students on a most regular basis, I pray for their curiosity. I'm like, Lord, make them curious. There is nothing easier to do than to teach a curious student. If the student is curious, if the student is saying, why is it like that? What does that mean? What about this? What about that? A curious student is the easiest and most joyful thing to teach. And so I pray, Lord, make them curious. Lord, make them want to know, want to learn. Another thing I think that students, students need is humility, right? If the student already thinks they know, then they're not, they're not ready to learn. It's very hard to teach someone who's not humble because, again, they, they think they already know the answer. 
And so I pray for humility. And then there's something else that we need to to learn. Sometimes we have an aversion to change. Like, this is how we've always known it. This is how we've always done it. It must be okay. It was all right for my parents and all right for my grandparents. Then it's all right for me too. But if we're going to learn anything, part of learning has to do with at least the possibility of change, of, of doing something new. So maybe today, for some of you, if you've always thought that Jesus was teaching in the temple at the age of 12, part of what you've learned is that he wasn't teaching there, he was learning there. He was studying there. He was asking questions. And people were amazed at his questions. Like, how did he think of that? What a great question. And they were amazed at his understanding. Like, how did he understand that? Look at this kid. He's like, a, he's a prodigy. <laughs> and sure enough, he was. He was remarkable. But that's, that's what we have. Before Jesus became the great teacher that he became, he was a student. He had learned from his mother. We talked about this on Christmas Eve, and we talked about it a bit last week as we looked at Mary's Magnificat. The, the song that she sings, the prophecy that she prophesies, seems like it had, had a lot to do with the way in which Jesus was shaped. Because when we later look at his work, right, his teachings, his, his miracles, um, his activity, we see Jesus kind of living out what Mary had said, right? So she was his first teacher, not just teaching him to walk and talk and, and feeding him and changing him and caring for him, but also teaching him to pray, teaching him to reflect, to think about God. But Jesus would become the great teacher, and he has taught us, and we learn from him, and we learn from those whom he taught. Because those whom he taught became, some of them anyway, the authors of the New Testament. And so when we read the New Testament, we're kind of reading the work of the students of Jesus. And we, we, we've also learned, in a way, and this is a long line of succession, right? But those folks taught people who taught people who taught and influenced others, and again, on and on and on down the line, and eventually that comes down to us. So for better or worse, hopefully for the better, I am your pastor. Not to say you can't learn things from other people. There are plenty of podcasts out there. You've had other pastors in your life. You can learn yourself, yourself right? You learn things from the Spirit or from when you read Scripture. But at least one of the ways that you learn is from me. And I have learned from others, right? I'm the product of their work. I am their student. And it's a beautiful thing when a student becomes a teacher, when you start to learn from those who you have taught. So when I glance around the room, uh, I see some of my former students. Uh, Mike Johnson was a student of mine like, I don't know, 18 years ago or something. I'm not trying to date, date you there, Mike. Uh, but the house I've had in class not that long ago. 
You might not know this, but when I, one of my first students in Lakeland uh, was a very talented, bright young woman named Carol Marsh. Do you know who that is? You now know her as Carol Larinaga. Um, I was very surprised today to see uh, Stephen Felix. Stephen and Connie are visiting from Los Angeles, and I didn't know they were going to be in town. So if you have friends who live in L.A. and you don't expect to see them, it's, it's like a really great surprise to get to see them. So if you, those of you who've been around for a while, Stephen used to lead worship for us quite a bit when he was local. Um, he's an artist, and he's a musician, and he's an author, and he's a college professor now. And there was a time when I was Stephen's professor, but definitely now I would consider myself a student of Stephen. I read what he writes, and I'm like, man, that's amazing. And I look at what he paints, and I'm like, gosh, that's beautiful. But this, this is the Christian life, right, that it's done in community, that it's passed from person to person, from even generation to generation. Truly he taught us, but even the one who taught us had learned. And now that we learn, the goal should be not just for us to be the wonderful recipients of these things, right? Of the knowledge of God, of the wisdom of God. Thank you, Lord, for showing me these things. But that we can then become the agents of those things. So we talk a lot about being the agents of forgiveness, right? We go out and forgive because God is forgiven. And being the agents of mercy or the agents of grace. I say that a lot, right? What you have received, become, and now go into the world and become agents of those things. But we might add to that list to be not just receivers of the knowledge of God, but also the distributors of that, to share it with others. And while we've already started the Christian calendar, right, we started with Advent, we know that we live in a world that doesn't think the new year starts with Advent. They think the new year starts with January 1, right? And it overlaps with our calendar a bit, right, because this new year the world is getting ready to celebrate is 2022. And that's uh, 2,022 years since the birth of Christ, so it doesn't matter if you're Christian or Muslim or Buddhist or Jewish or Hindu or, you know, just kind of non-religious, right? Um, we all kind of in, in the modern world kind of identify this year that's coming up as 2022, 2022 years since Christ. And so... <clears throat> It's incumbent upon us, I believe, and I'm, ask, I'm actually asking you all to do this, that I would love for you to share the knowledge of your faith with others. Like, I'm sure, like, the goal here is not to kind of proselytize. Like, if you have a friend and they go to some other church, you shouldn't say, hey, stop going to that church, start going to this church. That's not the goal. But... If you have, you know, we were talking this morning at breakfast how quick the state is growing, like the population is just kind of continuing to boom, right? There are folks who have moved here from elsewhere, and they don't have a church home yet. 
Or there are folks who used to attend church but no longer do. Or there are folks who have never attended church. There's plenty of these folks. Some of them might be in your family. Some of them would be in your neighborhood. Some of them would be in the places you work. But you should be the light, right? You should be there to, to care for them in their need and to share with them the good news. And so as we, as we start the new year, I encourage you to come, come to church, learn, but not just to come and learn so that you are the receiver of these things, but to, to share with others, invite others to come. Say, hey, I, there is this place I know where you can be loved, where you can be served, and maybe better yet, where you can serve. Now, what would that look like? So the epistle passage for today, and here's my, <clears throat> sorry, my Bible, a.k.a. my phone. The epistle passage today <clears throat> came from Colossians, and <clears throat> it's Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17, it is a beautiful passage, and I want you to reflect on it this week. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. It, it talks about putting on Christ. It talks about living in peace. It talks about this, this way of embodying the faith, so that the faith is not just ideas that you have in your head, the faith is a life that you live. And uh, the Howls are going to come in just a minute, and they're going to kind of read a, a dramatic version of, of, that, of that passage. But before they come, Jesus, Jesus was there in the temple, and he was learning, and he was asking questions. And when his parents found him, Mary's like, son, where have you been? Do you know what you have done to us? Do you realize the anxiety that you have caused? And he's like, well, I, I must have been about my father's business. And it says that his parents didn't get it. They didn't connect the dots, right? They didn't realize what he was talking about. But that two things. One, Mary pondered it in her heart. I mean, there's things that Mary did know about him. And she's wondering, well, what will this look like? What will this mean? And then two, it says that Jesus left and went home to Nazareth as his parents told him. I'm talking to you. Be obedient to your parents. You hear me over there? You hear me right here? Be obedient. Jesus was obedient. That's a good lesson. It's a good lesson to learn. I'm going to have the house come now, and I want you to, to listen. To listen to what they have to say and to pray that you too can embody, embody this lesson from Paul. You have been chosen by God for this new life of love. Dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, 
content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Truly, he, he taught, taught us. us. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. No matter what. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Truly, Truly he, he taught, taught us. us. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever you do, let them be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. For, For truly he taught, taught us. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.